Hello and welcome to Nintendo, a podcast for KBOO Portland looking at video game music from the past, the present, and possibly the future. I'm your host, Matt Bradley-Shurge. In this episode, we're going to um, listen to Gary Butterfield's Butter Favorites, a collection of <laughs> nine tracks enjoyed by internet celebrity Gary Butterfield. He is one of the founders of DuckFeed.tv, which is a network of podcast um typically focused on like video games and pop culture i think i have that right that is correct gary uh, welcome to nintendo thanks matt happy to be here so we met briefly at the um portland retro gaming convention earlier in the year and it is um i was just amazed at how how big that convention was i didn't know what to expect it was my first time going and um, just a lot of different people there. A lot of video game music playing through the speakers. Yeah, the uh, the first year that uh, so I've gone to it every year I've been here, um, which is eight years, and it's gotten bigger just about every year. And uh, the first time it was over at the convention center, they used to have kind of a break in the middle of the day where they would play the original Wii Shop music for about twenty minutes <laughs> on a loop. Yeah, and it was, it was really phenomenal. And then they uh, they stopped doing that for for one reason or another. Uh, I can't think of that music without thinking of the Giant Bomb podcast. Mm. They they used to play that in the background as they read the official description for every game in the Wii shop. <laughs> <laughs> Which was often, you know, bottom of the barrel releases like Beer Pawn or, or whatever. Um, so it was pretty funny. Oh, we were, we, we hardly knew ye. Uh, yes, <laughs> and... What are they called? Uh, Nindies or whatever? Is that what they're calling it? Oh, on the yeah, the new, the, new, uh, <laughs> the new portmanteau from the portmanteau boys down at Nintendo. Portmanteau and Nintendo yeah. rhymes. Yeah, yeah. Nintendo. Yeah, the uh, portmanteaus with Nintendo all over. That's right. So um, before we dive into your first uh, few tracks here, thanks for sending me the links to the tracks. It always helps. Um, when was the first time you really noticed video game music as something that you enjoyed when is the first time you found a game with music you liked listening to yeah yeah so um the the first games that i received uh for nintendo which was the first system that was not a family system uh, that we owned because uh my family had an atari growing up but i got a, a nintendo entertainment system and i got super mario brothers uh, operation wolf and Mega Man 2 <laughs> and uh there's a real wide, wide split there and, and you you know where i'm going the classic soundtrack of Operation Wolf, the uh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. It, is, it was obviously uh, Mega Man Two. You know, Super Mario Brothers has excellent music, but it the music is so kind of fundamental, um, and there's only a couple of songs in that. Whereas uh, Mega Man Two, kind of matching the themes to the uh, the bosses and kind of the uh, having a musical kind of theme to the uh, uh, you know the the the, the concept uh, of the world you're in. You know, so this is. Uh, uh, you know, kind of maybe like Flashman's music is a little bit like kind of icy and, uh, you know, high tech and slick, uh, you know, because of his, uh, you know, the kind of neon lights and everything in that stage. Um, this is the first time I kind of realized that you could do things like that with video game music. And it's just an excellent soundtrack. I, I remember uh, my cousin who I grew up with, who, because it was the style at the time, was a huge fan of the band uh, New Kids on the Block. Ah. And uh, I, I did not understand, uh, you know, so I was trying to find common interests with my cousin you know i was i was very much into uh in nintendo so i remember playing through Mega Man 2 and asking her which songs would make good like nktob you know backing tracks like is this new kids good or is this just regular nintendo good mm. 
and uh and and she uh you know god bless her didn't uh you know laugh at me for that Right, and you know, the music in Mega Man 2 is certainly better than, say, uh, some might call the culturally insensitive music of Tomahawk Man stage in, in <laughs> Mega Man 6. Um, but yeah, you know, Mega Man, I, I always knew with Nintendo games as a kid, Capcom and Konami were safe choices. Uh, and I was lucky in that when I got into that system, I was like in the first or second grade, but we had a few friends that were in middle school that, um, because I lived overseas for a few years as a kid, all as kids... Uh, at the embassy, we, uh, you know, there wasn't that many other people that spoke English. So video games was something we could all play together, whether it was uh, Ninja Gaiden or Mega Man. I'd say maybe like the moon theme on DuckTales, that one stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and even as a kid, I could tell that original Ninja Turtles game for the Nintendo was not very good. But I still uh, wanted it for Christmas because it was Ninja Turtles. And the, and the soundtrack is really, really good. Uh, yes, it, it, does, it does have a good soundtrack. Uh, the Some of the overworld map music. and um... you, you know, you, you bringing up the uh, Tomahawk Man stage music, this made me think how lucky we were that uh, every boxer didn't have an individual theme in Punch-Out. Because I mean, they would all be yeah. those caricatures. Like, right, you yeah. had like little five-second clips, but not they weren't unique to every boxer. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you're right. Punch Out is like racism, the game, right? It, and I thought when the Wii, uh, it's essentially a, a remake of sorts of the original game, although it has characters from some of the other, I think from like uh, some of the other arcade games in it and so forth. I thought, oh, well, you know, Nintendo, they're going to soften up the racism. Nope, they doubled yeah. down on it. And it was developed in Canada on top of that. Um, so you can't blame it on being a, a weird Japanese thing. Uh, and it, it sort of adds to the charm, but on the other hand, I wonder, is it necessary when you punch Glass Joe, do you, does he have to spit croissants out of his mouth? I, um, I feel like that crosses a line where it becomes fun racism again. <laughs> like, not that, like, racism right. is ever okay, but just, like, it's so outsized that uh, that it, it's hard for me not to think of it as anything other than just, like, super goofy. Like, th- there are no games with less hate in their heart than, than sure. Glass Joe, you know, exploding into croissants when you punch him. Yeah, it's... um. I think that's. It. I never thought of it that way, but you're right. It's a good point to have that over-the-top um, nature. I mean, if you try to go the other way and make it more subtle, it just would ironically probably make it be more racist. Um, <laughs> you know, give Glass Joe hairy armpits or something. I don't know why yeah, I'm going with this. Yeah. Have him smoke a cigarette between <laughs> rounds. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was really amazed when um i found out video games were released on music was released on cds for um christmas one year i got the final fantasy 6 soundtrack mm. which nintendo power sold through their catalog and it was called kefka's domain for some reason and my mom ordered me the cd set and i decided you know foolish 13 year old me i'm gonna play it on the family stereo um I was able to pull it off for about two minutes before they rushed and shut that off and said, what is this shit? And I paid for this. <laughs> yeah, I, I find that to be uh, true even with like friends now, even mm-hmm. friends who are kind mm-hmm. of into games who don't understand why you would ever want to listen to like a bleep or a bloop, you know? Um, sure. And, and for me, like the difference is always um, what kind of compositions come out of that, you know, um, is that those kind of limitations kind of you know in those very short loops that they would have uh, that really kind of lends itself to uh different kinds of different kinds of songs uh ones that you don't really find in any kind of popular music 
you know, and and that line is really interesting. There's some things that, you know, um, where they kind of blur that line that I really appreciate as well. But when it comes down to stuff like that Final Fantasy VI music, which doesn't sound like a pop song and it doesn't sound like an orchestral score, like from a movie, and it doesn't sound like music from a TV show, it kind of becomes its own unique thing uh, that I really, you know, I think is kind of special. Right, especially at the end of Final Fantasy VI, it has this 20-minute medley of all the different character themes going in and out of each other as the characters are escaping the uh, the tower as it's crumbling down. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's one of the best best ending and best ending themes. Mm-hmm. It's very similar to the um, Link to the Past. Oh, kind sure. Of kind of, right. you know, has the different area themes as you kind of go through and you see all your friends that you have this adventure with. And uh, and it's, it's just very uh, kind of heartening. You know, those old games had to do a lot of um, kind of lifting with the music where, you know, they... Uh, it's just a collection of, of sprites, and but they would get across this kind of mood and character through these pieces um, to kind of shore up the, the lack of fidelity in the, the visuals. Yeah, I was so, quite uh, amused uh, on one of your shows, Abject Suffering, in which uh, you talk about sort of bad games. Um, you talk about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And <laughs> I, I have a piece on that going up on Hardcore Gaming 101 um, hmm. in a few weeks, as it turns out. And... I, I'll agree the game isn't totally successful, but it's very ambitious in what it tries to do. And uh, some of the music isn't half bad. It's trying to go for something. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'll, I'll be uh, interested to read that because that's, sure. that's more or less what I wanted was somebody else to do the deep dive that, like, I wasn't going to do. Uh, I did. You know, even with, like, save scumming, it took me, oh, probably a month of just playing on weekends to get to the end and then i missed one crucial item so i couldn't do the last dungeon so i had to watch a let's play for the last of it mm. but it's like if you don't pick up one um a, a soldier's outfit hidden underneath one character's bed that's only on one screen that you can't go back to you can't get uh, in the final castle some sierra adventure level uh, i i think gotcha. so and you mentioned it was a bit of an adventure game and i think you're right but this um this is a music show after all so we can listen to some music and then we're going to talk about it.
and we just listened to three tracks uh all all your choices uh gary uh first one bernard's theme from maniac mansion the nintendo port the music i was by dave hayes and george the fat man sanger yeah yeah um you know george sanger who primarily did uh pc game music that's right um, um seventh guest uh the first wind commander game mm-hmm. and the um the reason so that that soundtrack is actually my my all-time favorite game soundtrack is the maniac mansion nes soundtrack uh, there, there are ones with better songs on it, but the uh, hmm. Maniac Mansion one was, I think, is the strongest example of what I was talking about before with like the characterization through music. Sure. Um, you know, I love that each song is the Walkman that the kid is walking around with, and that's the song they listen to. And uh, Bernard's theme is a really great one because uh, it kind of gets across his his personality really well. Like it's this this nerd, you know, you get the sense of it being like maybe like an Oingo Boingo song. Or something like that. That uh, yeah, it made me think of song. Sure, it made me think a bit of the theme to Revenge of the Nerds, like yeah, very, very yeah. synth, keyboardy, um, a kind of genre you didn't hear on the Nintendo that often. And you're right when uh, you have these characters in the original Maniac Mansion, they have a little bit of a personality, but um, it's not much. They're basically vessels to carry items around. Mm-hmm. As you solve these puzzles, but the music helps uh, do a lot of the legwork. I think as you were getting to earlier. Yeah, and yeah, I really, I really love, uh, and, and that goes for every every character in that game. Like, uh, even down to the, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what we were talking about with Final Fantasy VI, where it is this kind of like operatic mm. thing where everyone has a theme. You know, it just in it's it's diegetic. Like in the game, this is what they listen to. You know, so it kind of takes it a, a step further. Like it, it's weirdly kind of self aware. Right. I mean, if you like music like that, you might enjoy the. Um the opening cutscene theme from Zach McCracken and the alien Mindbenders. Oh yeah. 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 I love Zach McCracken. That's um, when we had, um, we had Ron Gilbert on the show a couple of times on watch out for fireballs. Oh, okay. The, uh, the second time we had him on, um, we wanted to do something that was not, uh, we had him on for our maniac mansion episode. And then we wanted to have him on for, uh, something, you know, I was like, what, what's kind of unusual. Like, is there something you don't get a chance to talk about that often? You know, and uh, the first thing I pitched to him was uh, us doing a Zach McCracken episode. But um, he, you know, that wasn't quite as much of, as his baby. So uh, we ended up doing Monkey Island, too, which I, I also love and was was really fun. Um, but, yeah, I love Zach McCracken. Um, that is a really, really underrated and good, obscure kind of LucasArts game. Yeah, I have yet to play that latest uh, Thimbleweed Park game, but it, it looks pretty good from the reviews. It's really funny. Like it's, it's, yeah, I've only played about 90 minutes of it, um, you know, so it gets kind of a slower start than than the old like, kind of LucasArts mm-hmm. games do. So I'm not deep in the puzzles, but it, it's hilarious. Like it is uh, it's one of the funniest games I've played. The clip so. I saw, I was a bit freaked out from voices coming out of those sort of graphics. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's really it's it's odd to see. Um, but they uh, the voice acting uniformly is really good. Um, my favorite little touch in the very beginning. Uh, so it's not so much a spoiler, but there's sure. a, uh, a a drinking fountain. <clears throat> in a police department and uh the way you interact with it is through dialogue so you click on it and it's like you're talking to it and you have a a selection of different slurping onomatopoeias you know so like sure and then the, the character will say them and the way you end the dialogue is to choose the ah option at the end and wow. that's when you've, you've drank enough water um well. you mentioned police station that uh, i stumbled upon i guess a few years ago um Jim Walls, the guy who did Police Quest 1 through 3, was trying to get a Police Quest knockoff funded on Kickstarter. 
Hmm. Which I, totally surprised me, but that he was not successful in that. I think because he wanted a million dollars or some really high amount. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, next you had Bard's Music from Ultima 4 Quest of the Avatar. Uh, again, the Nintendo version. Music by Seiji Tolda. And um, I listened to the, the clip and it's uh, very beautiful. It almost sounds more like a Commodore 64 tune. Yeah, yeah, it's got a, it's got a little bit of that uh, that C sixty four, even though it doesn't have that C sixty four kind of tremolo, you know, or like a arpeggiation kind of thing that you hear in like the the Silver Surfer music or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what's really cool about about this song, um, and it's a you know it's a weird, it's not a great port, you know, it's it's a weird port of of a really good PC game. Um, as far as I know, and and I could be wrong about this, but when I played this game, this is the only time this music comes up is this one bard who's in one <laughs> bar in the game. So if you go and talk to this one guy, he plays you this really, really sad, uh, kind of sweet-sounding song um, until you leave the room. But it's not part of the world music. It's not part of anything else. It's just this song that this guy will play for you if you happen to find him in one tiny little corner of the world. And I always thought that was really, really cool. Yeah, that you'd have that much attention to detail for a piece of music most people might not even ever hear. Mm-hmm. Makes yeah. it something quite special. Um the next, uh, I'm not familiar with this game, I'm afraid. It's uh, Damp Tomb, and it's from Kingsfield 4 for the PS2, with music by Sukasa Saito. Yeah, yeah. So the other thing um, that we do on the network that people might know, um, other than watch out for fireballs and abduct suffering, is uh, Bonfireside Chat, which is our uh, podcast dedicated to the Dark Souls series of games. And uh, those are kind of spiritual successors to the Kingsfield games from from, from Software. Um, this is the the most recent, the fourth and final entry in the Kingsfield games, and uh, it is the uh, the soundtrack. Uh, I think is just really, really strong, really, really atmospheric. Um, and there are shades of it in the uh, in Demon Souls, the first uh, Souls game, and then it kind of all goes out the window, and it's 100% bombast, hmm. uh, you know, chanting and, and drums and stuff for every boss. But this was kind of back when there was this kind of um, like not that great, but still kind of charming cheesy synth sounds um and just uh you know really really high up on on atmosphere um and this is this is my favorite song from that soundtrack which is it was one of my favorite soundtracks in games and with uh Kingsfield, does it have that similar you know infamous difficulty that the uh the demon souls games have it is uh it is but it's very slow paced um it's from the it's from the first person Oh, so okay. it, it's got that. Um, it's very. It's like a first-person melee kind of RPG, and it's very uh, methodical. So it does have. Uh, it is difficult, but most of the difficulty uh, is kind of. It's not reflex-based, you know. So it's it's not like turn. It's not a turn-based game, but it's not about being the quickest reflex. It's about uh, approaching kind of situations thoughtfully and uh, kind of evaluating them, being cautious, that kind of thing. Which is another thing that the the Soul series kind of did less of as they, they went on, I think. Yeah, I think it was uh, Demon Souls is the only one of those I played, and I found that too frustrating. Mm-hmm. I, I really tried to put five out. I put, like, maybe five hours into it and then just traded it back into the shop. I wanted to snap my controller in half. I usually think yeah. I'm <laughs> I, I'm a patient fellow, but it just w- was not for me. I, I, I could respect that, you know, it's all about um, your skill, and you, you know, if you're not on point you could get stabbed in the back by some wimpy skeleton and die and uh mm-hmm. I, I i can totally respect what it's doing and for some reason when it's that difficulty on a 2d plane like with say castlevania 3 or ninja gaiden or, or something i'm okay with it but i don't something about demon souls 
pissed me off, but I've heard like some of the other ones are a bit more approachable. Would you say that's fair? You know, it's it's kind of hard to say. Like I've I've played them a whole bunch and internalized them, and to me, uh, Demon Souls is one of the easier ones. And I'm not saying that is like a weird. Sure. Like, I've just, yeah. You know, I've dedicated like a big part of my life to it. So it's if I wasn't good at it by now, then there'd be a problem. Right. Um. The the first Dark Souls is maybe a little bit more accessible. It's the the one I started with, and the kind of the big difference there is that if you uh, if you wear heavy armor, you can't get interrupted by attacks. Hmm. Um. In Demon Souls, you can you can always be interrupted by attacks. So uh, that's kind of the the difference, and that might make a might make it help, or you know, might help you out with that, um, or you know, anyone who's looking for an entry point in the series. Right but after that, harder. So two, three, mm. you know, three Bloodborne, like the later games are significantly harder, I think, and are not good entry points. Uh, yeah, you know, I was playing uh, an older game I used to be really good at, but I hadn't played it for a while. It was uh, I got it through Gog uh, Icewind Dale. Oh yeah, yeah, right. And I think you know the music in that's fantastic. And uh, I spent thirty minutes rolling up my characters, and they all died within five minutes because <laughs> I didn't remember, you know, the controls, and I didn't get all the right items in the town. And I was like, well, I'm gonna have to do some practice on this one. But I love um, Icewind Dale for how epic in scope its music is, and how it's just a pure dungeon crawler. Yeah, that, that's um, is that Jeremy Soul? It is because of the soundtrack. Yeah, that's that's really fantastic. Um, I, I'm a big defender of those too. A lot of people I know, like I like all of the uh, the Infinity Engine games, and I know a lot of people who consider that you know Icewind Dale not really to be worth playing because it doesn't have that kind of story emphasis or the weird kind of questing uh, things that you do in say like Baldur's Gate two. But I like the combat in those games. I like being able to uh, compose a party and sure. uh, kind of you know create a a, a toolbox for for those challenges. Well, what's like weird I, is I played the um, enhanced version of Icewind Dale, and unfortunately they use, like, D&D 4.0 rules, which can oh, really? create characters that are somehow overpowered, or they use, like, special classes because it's done with the same engine they use to... It's not just up-res, but however they're com- doing their stats, they did the, the same mistake with the enhanced versions of Baldur's Gate. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I haven't played any of the enhanced versions. I didn't know they made a difference or made a change to the uh, the engine. Yeah, to the mechanics itself. And um, I mean, and, and frankly, it doesn't look that much like you can play it at higher resolutions, but it doesn't look beautiful or anything. Like it, it looks slightly better to my eyes, but not. It's not um, night and day, say with the I don't know the Halo Two remaster or something like that. The the weird thing about those enhanced editions is that the most um, appealing things to me that they included uh, modders had have done for like a decade. Oh yeah, you know, so those little ease of use things like oh, I want to be able to stack up ninety nine arrows in one slot, things like that. Um, you can mod in instantly. Exactly. You know, so the uh, most of the time when I when I when I revisit those, I've revisited the uh, the standard editions because the the new content, which like you know, I've heard mixed reports on, but isn't made by you know it's not black isle it's not made by the same people i don't have the automatic interest in it all right so we're going to listen to some more music and then be back
and we just listened to three more tracks, all uh, picked from our special guest here, Gary Butterfield of DuckFeed.tv. Uh, the first uh, thing we just listened to was Science is Fun from Portal 2. This was a, a computer game, and the music was by Mike Moraski. Now, I'm not fortunate enough to have played Portal 2. I played the original and liked it a good bit. And mm. uh, from all accounts, I've heard the second one uh, makes a lot of improvements. Yeah, the second one is um, it's slightly less kind of tight mm-hmm. than the the first one, but it is funnier and uh, is introduces some some real some kind of new wrinkles that are, are real winners. Um, the first one, the economy of Portal One, I really love, where it it spends maybe the first uh, half of it kind of setting things up, and and you know most of that game is tutorial. Right, it's just a really pleasant, perfect tutorial, so you know it doesn't feel bad. Um, and then you know the second half, you execute on it. The second one the ratio there's more of that kind of execution uh there's more of that that past the the point uh element so it's it's definitely worth playing and there's a, a totally separate uh, co-op campaign that is just really really fun like imagine the kinds of things you could do with two sets of portals sure um it's super cool um and the the soundtrack so the first portal um both of them have this kind of like a, i want to say there's like a modularness to mm-hmm. the soundtrack where there are these little bits um, the actual compositions from the second one, uh, which they gave away, like you can go to, I think you can still go to Val's website and download this, the soundtrack, um, just makes like really, really excellent kind of, uh, industrial work music. Uh, you know, like when I say work, like work, you know, if you want to do some writing or, oh, sure. or something, you know, that like it works really well for that for me and it and just really drives things along. Um, you know, obviously you're going to be listening to dialogue and such in a, in a portal game, but the second one has more kind of empty stretches where you are, uh, not interacting with anybody, you're kind of traversing the space, and the soundtrack really makes those 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 parts uh, work. Yeah, the next the next track you picked, I was more familiar with. This is Mute City from F Zero for the Super Nintendo. Music by Yumoki Kanki and Naoto Ishida. Yeah, it's a real epic track. I mean, it, it's the classic track that gets covered in the Smash Brothers games and so forth. But it's um. It makes you feel like you're going on an adventure. It makes the sort of garbled-looking Mode 7 graphics appear more impressive because it's this driving. It almost sounds like a Mega Man X uh, kind of tune. Oh, yeah. That's a good uh, good point of comparison. Um, and there's, there's such a huge sense of speed to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and that, that's kind of F-Zero's thing. Like, it is the, you know, the Dark Mirror to Mario Kart. Like, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the, uh, the, the reckless, uh, you know... Um, version of Mario Kart and like this song gets that across really well and and the original version the SNES version is actually my favorite like arrangement of it the um the later ones like there's an arrangement in uh in Mario Kart 8 uh where they replace the main synth with like a saxophone oh strange <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's super weird um you know this the, the kind of basic version is is my favorite um and this is uh the reason I included this on the list like you know and it should be noted like you know next week my my after I sent you the list like I was just like ah oh, I the Unaco theme from Deus Ex. Like, there were all <laughs> kinds of things I didn't include that I was kicking myself for. Um, but uh, one of the reasons why this made the list was because um, in maybe 10 years ago, um, I was in a video game music cover band, and this was the most fun song to play. Mm. Uh, like, playing this, like, synth lead and, and doing this kind of, like, super, you know, really, really fast, really kinetic, you know, with a live drummer behind you. Like, and stuff was really, really fun. So uh, here in Portland, Oregon, have you ever been to the Quarter World Arcade off of Hawthorne? Yeah. Yeah, they have those uh, Tesla coil shows. Yep. And they have the, uh, at least last time I went, they had the Japanese F-Zero arcade game. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did did see that. And it's worth going into, like, the graphics aren't 
great or anything. I think it came around the same time as the GameCube title. But um, and the machine is somewhat defective, but it really rocks you back and forth as you go around, and it maintains a sense of speed from um, the games. Mm. And I believe someone even hacked the GameCube F-Zero game, and it has the whole arcade game on that disc. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, um, so you might want to poke around and look at that. But uh, next time you're in the arcade, uh, especially if, if you like F-Zero, it, it's worth putting a, a dollar or two into that machine and trying that out just to get jolted around and um, have that experience. Because you don't... I think that the machine is defective makes it all the more charming. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like how I haven't played a uh, a version of the Mario Kart arcade game where the uh, the weapon's firing. Oh, yeah. You know? Um, like, Ground Control has had that, that same machine where you do it two-player head-to-head. Sure. And one player just can't use weapons. <laughs> So it's a, it's, it's even a, the same at the Mario Kart machines at I think Bullwinkles mm, by yeah. Fries has the same problem. Real loose. I mean, of course, those machines where it get beat up by kids the most, but it's um. I, I think the F Zero arcade game is certainly better than the uh, the Mario Kart arcade games. I think yeah, Sega I, I, worked yeah, on the arcade it. game too. So um. Very cool. And then the the last thing in that set of tracks was from a more recent game, uh, Shovel Knight. It's the track High Above the Land, composed by Jake Vert Kaufman, and that game's available on pretty much every modern platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, High Above the Land, it's, you know, I mentioned Mega Man X a little bit with F-Zero. This one also reminds me of a Mega Man sounding tune, and it's such a difficult thing to describe. Like, there's something driving about the music, something peppy about the music, and something that makes it feel like you're going on a quest. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's real not heroic. But, it's not real heroic, but it's not bombastic. Yeah, yeah, and that that's true of most of the uh, the Shovel Knight soundtrack. Um, you know, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if you if you're familiar with the soundtrack or have played that game, but if 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 you're not, uh, the, you know, as a fan of of kind of NES platformers, um, you should definitely give it a shot because it is uh, it's tops. Yeah, I, and... I need to put more time into it. I <laughs> I got maybe halfway through it, and I got busy with the other things, and then now. Uh, you know, I just did the update and deleted my profile, and so it has the treasure chest uh, version mm. with, with with the different um, expanded content. And I believe we're still waiting on what is it, King Knight? Some yeah, sort King, of... King Knight's coming. It, it's so they're so generous. Uh, like, exactly right. It, yeah, it's amazing. And the uh, once you you know if you play through the main one, you you play through those uh those alternative campaigns. Um, it's just, it's, it's so, uh, it like makes me mad how good they are because they're, they're so creative at taking and remixing the levels and giving you a new kind of, uh, traversal gimmick, you know, because Shovel Knight like operates like, uh, you know, Scrooge McDuck and DuckTales essentially bounces on enemies, um, which is really cool. And then they came up with two other ways to, you know, essentially double jump, but kind of creative twist on double jumps, uh, for the other two nights. And there's still a third one coming or a fourth one rather. Um, and the, the, re, you know, the new level, it's like totally new story. The levels are very different. Um, there are new bosses, there are remixes of the soundtrack. Um, it's just so they're giving so much, you know, for, for my value, you know, for my, for my dollar. Um, you know, they're one of my favorite games that, you know, I think it was my favorite game the year it came out was Shovel Knight. And then, uh, to just kind of get new remixes on it that are like substantial and meaningful updates. Um, a large part of that's the soundtrack. It was the first, um, video game soundtrack I bought on vinyl. Hmm. Um, it is, uh, it's just, it, it's really kinetic. Like, I think that there's a lot of, like, little flourishes in it um, that remind me of how the base game of Shovel Knight, like, where Shovel Knight kind of seems like an NES game, but there are tons of cheats, 
you know, there are more colors on screen and there are more sprites on screen. And, you know, it, it, it's an NES couldn't do that. Um, the soundtrack does the same thing where there are just kind of extra tracks and little instrumental flourishes and things, but it still has that spirit of, uh, of really, really uh, kind of propulsive, like NES Mega Man music. Well, I think uh, the level design is really clever, but especially the mechanic of... Um, I haven't played this game uh, in a while, I think since it first came out, but there's something with you collect the gems, and then if you save your game, it costs gems. So you can have the risk of skipping the save point to have more yeah, money yeah, yeah. to take with you forward, which I thought was it, a neat thing. Yeah, it doesn't cost gems, but if you uh, if you want, you can destroy a save point to get money. That's it, okay. Yeah, yep. um, which is really cool risk-reward. You know, if you've mastered a level... Um, or if you're very confident, you can do that. And that's uh, speed runs for, for Shovel Knight are really fun to watch because of that. Uh, because they obviously want to get that money as soon as possible. So they, you know, they, they are just uh, getting rid of every safety net. Right, yeah. it's um, The game's a lot of fun. I think the difficulty, too, is fair. It's not like, oh, like Rogue Legacy is, it's a different sort of game. But that's some, that I found that infuriating. With Rogue Legacy is more about um, progress, where like sure. in Rogue Legacy, your base avatar won't make it to the end of the game. You have to make the, those kind of like long loops of improving your base That's and improving right. your starting stats. And whereas Shovel Knight, you more or less have your your you know you get you get new verbs, but your your starting character is really really competent, and you could you could theoretically beat the game with your starting set. Um, and the challenges are made for that. Yeah, it's less grindy. Um, yeah, by design. So great, so we have three more tracks to go, so we're going to give those a listen. Sky to you. To you. 
Hocus, hocus, hocus. Yes, 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 yes. Then you and I would be 
And we just listened to three more tracks. Uh, started with one that um, I liked this one a lot as a kid. Monster Dance from Castlevania II Simon's Quest for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Music by Kenichi Matsubara, Kuji Murata, and Satoe Terashima. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think like a uh, pretty underrated game, like our, or kind of unfairly uh, hated game, uh, at least as far as my you know my nostalgia <laughs> bones go. Like I spent a lot of time with Castlevania II as a kid. I love the uh, exploration of it. Mm-hmm. Makes it neat in that. I mean, the first game it's Castlevania. You're you're in the castle pretty much. I think you might be underneath the castle for a level, but you're just in one setting. But this, you have villages. It feels more like an RPG, um, which, which is intentional. Obviously, they improve on that a lot more with Castlevania Symphony of the Night. But this is pretty ambitious. Uh, Castlevania two for a Nintendo's game. In, mm-hmm. in some way, I thought Castlevania Three was a little disappointing, and that they sort of retreated to sort of what the first game was. Yeah, Cas- Castlevania Three, I think, is like the platonic ideal of Castlevania One. Right. You know, whereas, yeah, and and you could say like Symphony of the Night is the ideal of Two, uh, but Two at the very least, like it came out of that real weird uh, creative period of Nintendo sequels. You know, because uh, Zelda Two, which is very similar actually to this, where it's like sure you know, an RPG, and and then uh, you know obviously uh, Doki Doki Panic, Mario Two which is, you know, a total departure. And then you'd have the third games in those series, which just doubled down on the first one. You know, Mario 3 is like a great version of Mario 1. Um, mm. Zelda 3 is like a great version of Zelda 1. Um, but those little, those those oddballs in the middle, I have a lot of affection for. Um, you know, I recognize all the problems with this game, but uh, one of the things about, you know, you mentioned it being exploration uh, kind of focused. Um, because it's a kind of a longer game and because you spend a lot of time, you know, moving around, it gave me a lot more time to kind of set and appreciate the music. Mm. Um, you know, I like the music in all all the NES Castlevanias quite a bit, um, but this way, you know, I would spend like this is the uh, uh, when the night you know the nighttime music would come out. Um, it was you know genuinely like I knew what that meant, and it would uh, kind of you know not like get your adrenaline up like it's still not you know a horror game exactly, but I, things would be a little bit more tense because of that because it was tied into this like I don't want to lose my progress feeling. What I found interesting is I read an interview with one of the designers of Castlevania 2, and they mentioned how even in the Japanese version, the villagers give you incorrect tips. Mm-hmm. And that's something they faithfully translated to the English version, for better or for worse. It's such a weird choice. Uh, the, uh... It is. Like, it's almost... It's almost I, like I... <laughs> one of those things where it's like they're pushing... You have to buy the hint guide. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's, yeah. I, it's I don't, mystifying. I don't, I don't like... I don't like that part of it. The uh, somebody there's a ROM patch called uh, Ca- uh, Simon's Quest uh, Redacted. Oh, really? Is, okay. Uh, yeah, somebody <laughs> did. And the, the villagers don't lie, 
and the uh, the transition between the day and night cycle is lightning quick. And huh. uh, it makes a huge difference. Makes it a lot more uh, less uh, frustrating, I would think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it, you know, when you get to Dracula at the end of Castlevania too, it's very theatrical, but it's not, you know, super challenging. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, for as a kid version of me, that was okay. You know, like mm -hmm. at this, this was the first Castlevania I beat, and then had to go back to three and 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 ultimately one. One was the last one I beat because it it's you know super hard. Um, this kind of being a little bit more approachable, you know, just happened to hit me at the right time. I think. Well, here's a bit of trivia before you move into the next track. Do you know what Castlevania 3 and Ninja Gaiden 3 have in common? What is that? They made them intentionally more difficult for the U.S. market. Oh, yeah, I, I think I knew. I didn't know that about Ninja Gaiden 3. I did know that about Castlevania 3, but I'm not. Uh, Ninja Gaiden, I like those games a lot, but I haven't uh, done a deep dive on them as like an adult. So I don't. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, they uh, because of the U.S. rental market, Nintendo was concerned that people were not going to buy as many video games when you can rent them for a few dollars because such a market did not exist really in Japan at the time. They made that practice illegal, um, which is, I don't mm. quite understand that part. But So because of that, they made games more difficult on purpose for the United States. And for Castlevania three and the Japanese version, at the beginning of the game, uh, you can die in fewer hits, but as you get further in the game, it takes more hits to kill your character. And they reverse that for the U.S. Mm. version. And then Ninja Gaiden 3, um, they just raise the damage from all enemies, period, to where you die like in four hits. And the game is painfully, painfully difficult. Uh, I believe also Streets of Rage 3 did a, a similar thing. Yeah, that's um, it's like a reverse version of uh, Final Fantasy 4. Yeah, right, where we got the easy uh, version. Easy type. Easy type. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, I enjoyed Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, but it's a, um, it's a not it's not a difficult game, but it's not meant to be. It has some cool music in it. The music's phenomenal. Like it's a, it's a great soundtrack. Like uh, that that's like the the part that stands up. And and it wasn't uh, for me when I played it, it wasn't the difficulty that I, I disliked. It was the um, the the encounter stacks oh there's a lot of them yep. yeah you know you just spend a lot of, so it wasn't like you know i don't i don't really like random encounters in jrpgs very much but i also don't want to just like here's 10 things to get through you know tap tap that button you know I, I i didn't care for that either but the uh the soundtrack is really really good right also what has a good soundtrack is uh katamari damashi and you picked a track k sera sera uh, this game was out for the playstation 2 with music by yu miyake and um, what a fascinating game! I, I was—I oh, yeah. really thought that series was cut short at the knees. It's a—I think it was a real yeah. It was a, a function of them. The first one uh, totally explores what you can do with the kind of like that mechanic. I feel like, like the first one is a perfect game. Sure. And then the second one came along and did some cool twists on it. Um, but they just didn't have, you know, there weren't enough twists that people, you know, thought of to add to it. So by the time the third one came out, which I think is the PSP one, um, people, you know, it was hampered by the control scheme, but also people were just like, this is the same thing over and over again. And then the Xbox 360, uh, version came out yeah. um, and it was just the same thing. And the PS4 version or the PS3 version, and, uh, it just kind of failed to innovate. And that, I think that kind of killed it, but the base idea of it, like I played all of those games. Mm -hmm. um even if they were the same like i like the psp katamari damashi um like i like that base mechanic enough to where i just wanted more of it and um a lot of it like not only is it just fun but like the the personality and stuff and the soundtracks uh, for all those games is just 
phenomenal and, and just really offbeat and weird and not the kind of music you usually hear in video games. Right, I mean, this has, um, to describe to listeners that might not know what Katamari Damashi is, um, it's a strange, I'd call it almost like a puzzle exploration game, I guess, where you're a little mm-hmm. alien pushing a ball around and you're trying to roll up things to make it bigger. And at the beginning, you might be able to roll up, I don't know, like coffee cups. And then eventually you can roll up dogs and humans and buildings. And then and continents. Yeah. And, you know, celestial bodies. And it just, you know, it's all about scale in this way. That's sure. Really, really... And the, the music is just, it has a heavily relies on vocals, but like it's really relaxing, even though the gameplay can be kind of manic because you have, um, I haven't played it in so long, some sort of a time limit or something like that, or, or some kind yeah. of a score. It's It feels like an older game in that respect, in that uh, it's not, I mean, there is a story, but it's not what the game's about. You're trying to get a certain size or something, and the, the, pick, the track you picked, it has lovely lyrics that are somewhat comprehensible. I'm so in love with you. I want to roll you up into my life. Yeah, it, it's a uh, it's romantic in a way that doesn't make yeah. any sense. No, like it's, um, it's like romantic. But one of the running jokes in that series is this idea that like uh, being rolled up is a good and 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 <laughs> fun thing. Like it feels right. good, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, I love this as a the romantic expression of what that means to be rolled up. Another track from those games that uh, that I like is Katamari on the Swain, but I can't oh, remember that, yeah, that's a great song. if that's from the first or the second. But it's, that's, the, uh, that's the first one. The first one, yeah. yeah. Um, the second one, I think they almost try to get too clever with the game mechanics because there's something where it's like, oh, you can't let your... You can't get too cold because yeah. it's snowing out. And it's like the simplicity of the first one, I, I think, is what makes it work. The, yeah, the second one introduced a lot of gimmicks and the... Uh... They all they, there was a couple of gimmick levels in the first one, but the second one really doubles down on them because again they're I feel like they're struggling to figure out what you can do with this mechanic. Mm-hmm. Like how can you you put twist on this because, you know this was a unexpectedly super successful game. We want to make another one, um, and those twist levels are everyone's least favorite. So like the uh, the one you're talking about where you're rolling up a, uh, a fireball. That's right. You know, and if you hit if you hit you know if it if it loses enough heat, um, it goes out. Um, there's one where it's like roll up the biggest uh, bear, and uh, that you can get, and right. everything is full of like little fake bears that will end your <laughs> run. You know, if you run into them. Yeah. And and I don't I don't uh, I don't envy them. Like I can't think of twists really on what to do with Katamari. I just don't know that you know, like I would have been fine. I wish that it had come out now. I feel like if this game had come out now, it would have been a uh, instead of on PS2 on a major platform, it would have been like a PC game, like an indie game. And it could have done like expansion packs, you know, like sure. give me five dollars right. for new levels and new songs and and stuff, as opposed to trying to come up with a whole new product that needs to feel like a totally different thing. Now, you know, if you like um, music from indie games, you might like the soundtrack to uh, there's an indie game on Steam called Valhalla. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's this sort of like cyberpunk anime, like think Dominion Tank Police kind of look, um, and it's a it's a work simulator where you're a bartender at a bar, but also part of it's sort of like a visual novel where you're making choices in the story. Yeah, yeah, it's um like kind of cyberpunk. Cyberpunk, exactly. Yeah, I, I've definitely seen it, but I haven't uh, I haven't played the game. I've just but, seen. I remember seeing promotional material for it. Yeah, if you see it on sale, it, it's uh, worth picking up. And the uh, the music too, it, it just captures that sort of Blade Runner sound very well. Yeah. Um, 
a, a bit more poppy in some senses, not as fatalistic. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, that game looked really neat. Um, you know, I, I've heard really cool things. And it's less frustrating than Papers, Please. Yeah. Which I love <laughs> Papers, Please, but I'm I'm the worst person ever at that game. Oh, well, that, that, I mean, and it's a stressful ordeal. Like, yes. it's, a, it's a work simulator that just feels like it the is. worst job, you know? Um, yeah. And what's funny is my um, my dad used to do uh, a, a job like that when we worked overseas with passports. Mm. So I've, my dad doesn't really play games, but I've always wanted to show him that one. Maybe I will next time I see him. Was he, I assume that he wasn't responsible for, uh, you know, crimes against human rights and the like? Like your um, papers, please? No, but as far as, you know, <laughs> you have to check passports for things. And if someone bribes you, you have to turn them in. I mean, there was that. Yeah. He had some stories along those lines. So I'm curious what what, what he'd think of um what do you think of that? Have you ever played um, Cart Life? No. Uh, Cart Life's another indie game that is, uh, it's like an updated version of Lemonade Stand, except with real, <laughs> you know, real people with okay. who actually, you know, with economic realities of, of how, you know, you can't really make it on a minimum wage. It is another very stressful job simulator in that weird subgenre. <laughs> like, uh, how do you spell it? Is it on Steam? Uh, yeah, it's, it's just a cart, like a C-A-R-T. Mm-hmm. And then L I F E. I think it's on Steam. If not, it might even be free now. Okay, I'll look right um, for it. Yeah, cool. currently, it's a it's it's harrowing, but it, it's good. It's harrowing, but it's good. Oh, it was made with Adventure Game Studio. Okay, yeah, I'll look around. Yeah, I, I see something for it. I've been um, playing around with the idea. I came out with a uh, a computer game called um, Frankenstein's Bastard Daughter a few years ago. Mm-hmm. That's a sort of text adventure, but I've been wanting to do a sort of job simulator game about working at video rental stores oh that's pretty fun but so i'll have to play around with that idea and see yeah especially in the um in the 80s and 90s when uh one of the things uh, my friend um bob Mackey did a article for something awful about this and it's one of my favorite um things that i feel like only people of a certain age will get uh, not to turn to a buzzfeed thing but the um you when you go to a video game rental place uh and they had lost the manual <laughs> and these mom and pop yeah. shops would remake like instructions. Uh, those were always really fun. And he did a, a fake version of those. Um, that, that's just really, really spot on. Um, but just, you know, with these like just clip art illustrations and just, they don't, you know, they, they don't know video games, you know, so it'd just be sure. a clip art illustration of an Italian chef or whatever. And it'd be like Mario adventures. Uh, and then as a kid, you had to be like, okay, this is Mario too. I gotcha. Well, part of the reason, um, you know, blockbuster video had to have those fake instructions is because of a lawsuit from Nintendo. Mm. Nintendo basically tried to say video game rental rentals are hurt are hurting uh, our retail sales and it should be illegal in the United States and they couldn't win on that count and they said well because they have photocopies of instruction manuals with the games that's copyright infringement. Oh wow. And yeah, because that's fascinating. Right, and because I believe I got that from the book uh, Game Over by David Sheff about um, the history of Nintendo. It's an older title. It only goes up to the Super Nintendo. Um, sort of like Tetris scandal stuff that went on mm-hmm. um, with the mil- million pirated versions of Tetris. But it, it, it's a good read, even though it's a little bit old. Um, also by that same guy, he did a book masters of doom about the making I, of I, doom. Yeah. I've read that. And then that one, that's really great. Very good. Yeah. Um, which brings us, this is, I can't segue it, but I'll try. Uh, and our last track is also pretty good. I just said that before. That's horrendous. Uh, is thrilling is this love from rhythm heaven it was for the ds by masami yone and sunku 
Um, Rhythm Heaven, I tried to play and I've always found it confusing, but I, I, it's fun to watch people play at parties. I had a friend that had the Wii, uh, Rhythm Heaven mm-hmm. game and just the bright, bold graphics. I mean, it reminds me of a WarioWare and that you have these compartmentalized games that you have to hit the, the button to the beat, but there's so much visually going on that's distracting you. And it's so, um, it just feels like you're playing a weird comic book. It's really hard to put into words. Yeah, the graphical style is really, really unique and and very, you know, very WarioWare. Like that's right on. Um, and the 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 mechanics, like where it's the you know hitting the button in time or the different kind of gimmicks that they give you to kind of play along with the rhythm will like is weirdly more sophisticated than than you might expect. Like they they will teach you musical concepts through it. Like there are. There are levels that are about uh, rests and about different kinds of syncopations and, and stuff um, without ever, you know, or off, you know, being on the offbeat, things like that uh, without ever, you know, telling you that's what they're doing. Um, but mostly, you know, I think that the, the soundtrack and the, the personality to it is really phenomenal. Um, and uh, it's my favorite rhythm game. Um, you know, there are lots of rhythm games that I like, but for a rhythm game for me to really enjoy it, I have to lo- love the music. And, uh, and I love the music in, in this game so much. And I think this song is, is hilarious and good. Uh, the the premise for this is you are a uh, a group of monkeys that are part of a fan club for this uh, kind of pop singer, and uh, you're practicing for your your you know, big show where you have this audience participation thing. You're supposed to do these kind of claps and these uh, these chants along with a song. And when they made the song, it is just the most vapid uh, thing. Like the lyrics are very funny to me, and I, I think uh, anytime you exclaim, I suppose, I think that's very funny. Um, <laughs> You know, this non-committal uh, take on romance. Is this uh, is the Rhythm Heaven one on the DS? Is that you think the best in the series? Yeah, that's my favorite. Um, the uh, the Wii one is very good. Uh, the uh, the new one that's on the 3DS is actually very good. Um, it kind of remixes things from all the previous games, um, but it has uh, the best songs. I think are in the uh, the DS one. Um, I actually got a uh, I bought a repro cart of the GBA one. Um, that was translated because uh, it never it never came to the states, and it's also you know it works on GBA. It's just a you know one button gaming, so like you don't need that kind of uh, complicated any kind of complicated control scheme for it. And uh, that one's very good as well. Like it's it's weirdly it's a quietly become one of my favorite series without really kind of pushing its way to the front. I just realized like oh all four entries in this are you know a games to me. Like I love these games so much. Um, yeah, it is a it is a unpretentious and unassuming fave. And since that was the last track, I'm going to throw in a pick of my own. Um, and I don't know if you played this game, but if you haven't, it's worth tracking down. Incredible Crisis for the PlayStation. Oh yeah, and it has music yeah. by the Tokyo Ska Paradise Orchestra.
It is a, what a bizarre game. You play as different members of a family. It's all mini games. So in that way, it was very ahead of its time. And um, the music by Tokyo Ska Paradise Orchestra, which is a best-selling um, music group in Japan for decades now, uh, is, as you can guess, ska, but very mm-hmm. upbeat, very weird, a lot of scatting in their songs. And it matches the zaniness of the game. Yeah, it's it's really, that's a that's a great game. I remember like at the same, when I got that, um, I remember just seeing it reviews for it, and at the time, whenever something would come out and it would be kind of lauded in game magazines as like an offbeat or weird game, I would try to seek it out. And uh, I remember me and my friends playing that, and uh, it's actually uh, for as be- kind of lighthearted the, as the music is, and the fact that it's a mini game collection, it's very difficult. Yes, um, it's it's a really hard game, and and I think as far as we could get was there's a, a scene where uh, the wife and the family is getting her back massaged on a Ferris wheel. And you have to, uh, the, she's telling you to move oh, your hand oh, where you're, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. you know, it's very, very salacious. Like, and, and, you know, me being like a 20 year old kid, like it was, uh, you know, giggles all the way down because it really seemed like, you know, we were having sex on a Ferris wheel and, uh, this, this lady was telling us how, um, you know, and then when you get the spot, there's just like, it's like the, the most graphic moans on the PS one, <laughs> like, if memory serves, I think you actually might be playing as the dad who's with his secretary, and he's oh, giving might, the secretary right. a massage. Um, which you're right; it sounds uh, completely sexual on purpose, and yet I mean that thing was pretty salacious. I mean, speaking of salacious video games, as we wrap things up here, uh, as a kid I had uh, the Golgo 13 mm. game and. He would have sex with women in the game, and it's not like it, it's um, it was X-rated or anything. But you see, sort of a wide shot of the apartment at night, and the man moves towards the woman, and the lights turn out, and then it plays some music, and then they wake up the next day. Yeah, yeah, I remember uh, remember that as well. Seeing that mostly, um, hearing people talk about it. I don't think I played that until we covered it for uh, for Abject Suffering um, this year. But uh, I remember hearing about that, and that might be. The only, uh, only, only sex on the SNES or on the NES. It's the only one that I can think of. Um, yeah. Other than like the implied, you know, for a good time, call Edna. But that was even that was taken out of the, uh, the NES Maniac Mansion. So there's, it was, you know, 
That's pretty intense. I always thought something was going on in Zelda 2 where the woman in the red dress took you to her house. Yeah. And it filled yeah. up your life meter. Yeah, I, I think that that's probably the natural conclusion to that. <laughs> I try not to make any assumptions about women with red dresses if I can help it. Like, But that's what I thought when I was young, too. I was just like, oh, man, like that's definitely, you know, when we, we would joke about, you know, uh, Link getting, getting a piece, uh, you know, it, it <laughs> kind of backstage. Um you know, so but but who who knows? It's weird that she's the color of the potion. So it makes me think that like, oh, if, if yeah. she is having having sex with him, does that mean like every time Link drinks, you know, and it refills his life, every time Link drinks a red potion, like he gets like you know his wires crossed, and he's just like man that you know and gets a little excited or what have you, like tight jerking, uh, just from <laughs> the uh, you know like from thinking about the, this lady, you know, it's a, it's a weird like kind of Pavlov thing. Could be. I'm now. I don't know why this came to mind, but I'm thinking of inappropriate jokes and, and children's things. Uh, the Ninja Turtles movie, the first of the more recent ones, mm-hmm. it has Michelangelo getting horny for April O'Neil, and he says, "Oh, it's feeling pretty tight in my shell right about uh. now," <laughs> which which is not subtle at all. And um, yeah, have, I, I have, have you that. seen that movie? No, no. Oh. I, I uh, that that's that's. But the cartoon for Ninja Turtles. Um, the uh, uh, Irma, April's friend, wanted to have sex with Donatello. Like she was so thirsty for Donatello. And <laughs> there's an episode where they repro. There's a robot cop that they reprogram with a VHS tape. Okay. You know what you do? And she wants to have sex with the robot cop as well. Like Irma was the thirstiest cartoon character that ever was. Like, so there's a there's a precedent for Michelangelo's weird cross species uh, uh, horniness. You know, I think if you were to do a rock band again or to have a, a like a, a nerdcore single, Irma the Thirstiest yeah. is not a bad name <laughs> for a track. Or... It could be or a good name for a Dark Souls boss. Like it is a... <laughs> can bring full circle. Like That's right. <laughs> yeah. ah, well, Irma the Thirstiest, on that note. Um, <laughs> Gary, I guess let's close out. Let's talk a little bit about um, what's going on with duckfeed.tv it looks like so as we mentioned before it's a network of um, pop culture and video game podcasts looks like he's sort of phasing out some shows have some new stuff coming out is that right yeah the um the dark soul series is over so our our show dedicated to that series is ending um we uh we kind of had a couple ideas for how to extend it um it's possible they will announce another sequel but um we've been doing that show for almost five four or five years now Mm. And uh, we're ready to, to move on. Um, so what we're doing is we are taking our kind of flagship show, uh, Watch Out for Fireballs, which is the show that we uh, we do live every year at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Um, you should come out and see us. Um, but we're taking that and we're kind of doubling down on it and we're making it weekly. Um, that was, you know, formerly a fortnightly show. So does that mean you're beating the games every week or how does that work? So the way it's going to work is uh, some episodes will be on shorter games. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we, we always beat, uh, I feel like there's maybe five games we've done for the show that I didn't beat. So we usually we do, we do beat them before we play. Um, but some weeks in this uh, new way, the games will be shorter. Um, other games will be split up over multiple episodes, you know, so if it's, if it's a long game or if we have a lot to talk about, so, uh, and we've always done that. And when we do uh, gigantic Western, uh, RPGs, we generally split those up into two or three episodes just because there's so much there. And, uh, we're just going to do a little bit more of that. Um, so, and then, uh, you know, and the idea is we're going to have these kind of theme months. So like an example, one of them I really want to do would be like bat month, 
where we did like the NES Batman as kind of a, mm-hmm. a palette cleanser and then did like Arkham City and we split that up into two parts like main quest and side quest maybe and then uh, and then at the end of the month we have a, a listener response thing um, so yeah we have these different kind of themes we want to do uh, moving into it where we we are supported entirely by listeners uh, through Patreon and we're restructuring our Patreon as well to kind of reflect this um, to kind of uh, change, get some new new goals and new rewards and stuff. Now that the other show is going away and this other this this primary show is gaining kind of prominence. So the best website people can go to for information would be duckfeed.tv. Absolutely, yeah. And you can link to anything uh, that we have from there. Um, you can find kind of our social media. You can find a big list of other things we do. It is a it is a huge and kind of growing network. Um, we do shows mostly about video games, uh, but there's also, as you mentioned, kind of pop culture. Um, there are, uh, shows we're kind of crossing out into other kinds of media, um, as we expand. So you can see that we've done a, you know, I do a show on there about the uh, X-Men animated series. Um, hmm. I'd, uh, there's a show that Cole does about the, uh, Dark Towers books, uh, Dark Tower books, the Stephen King novels. Um, so we're kind of like branching out. We were trying to make, there's a little bit of something for everybody, you know, with, and we still have kind of our bread and butter, which is always going to be, uh, going to be video games. I'm looking at the different logos. I love the horrendous artwork for days of future cast. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a friend of uh, Jeremy's did this very unflattering picture of, uh, me and Jeremy. <laughs> it, um, um, I, I mean this in the best way possible, but it, it looks like a middle school boys artwork from a notebook. It, but it it kind of looks like us though is the thing, like huh. that, that, yeah. is, that, I mean I like I'm not I'm not that fat, but it is it is, <laughs> sure. it is recognizable as a parody of me, which I like. It looks like a weird carnival version of me. Yes, and the the huge apocalypse is huge frog head. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Is a real something special? Uh, I guess. Let's think on one last note here. Um, what's a recent video game that you've liked the music to? What is a recent video game that I have liked the music to? Uh, give me, give me just a second to, to kind of cattle, go through. Um, so there's like recent and recently played, right? So like because we I play a lot of old games for the show, right? It gets you know it, it, those those two things get a little bit mixed up. Um, as far as like strictly recently, um, you know I really like the music that is in Mario Kart Eight, other than that remix of Mute City. Um, you know, that soundtrack is really cool. It does a lot of neat things with, um, there are courses on that, uh, in that game that, uh, there aren't laps, you know, it's like one long course. Mm, right. And when you get to the lap points, the instrumentation will change. Like, um, new instruments will, will join the composition. Other ones will fall out. Things like that. Um, that kind of change the feel. Um, uh, it reminds me of like when you jump on Yoshi and you get the bongos in Super Mario World, like, oh, I'm in this jungle section. So now they're, the Tom has been replaced with you know, a timpani, that kind of thing, which I really like. And then as far as just kind of recently played, um, the next game we're recording about for Watch Out for Fireballs is Yakuza, the first one. Oh, yeah. And uh, and I like the soundtrack to that game quite a bit. Um, I wasn't expecting to, because a lot of times, like cinematic games, I'll get kind of bored by the soundtrack. But I think Yakuza has a really good soundtrack and and really appropriate. Kind of seedy and crimey. That's one I think in Japan got a remake on the PS4. It's coming to America. Oh, yeah. is it? Okay. Like, yeah, it's coming this summer. And if you know, if we had everything to do it over again, I would have waited for the remake because the first one's you know it's a little bit clunky. Um, I still ended up enjoying it, but like it's it's definitely dated. It was a real late period PS2 game, and I recall the loading times 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, for it's like it's like Chrono Trigger when they ported that to the PlayStation, where it's ten seconds to load a battle. Yeah, yeah, not quite that bad, but not great. Yeah, not yeah. great. But uh, the game itself is pretty cool, though. Yeah, well, it's it's super cool. Yeah. yeah well, well, Gary, I want to thank you so much for coming on Nintendo Show. I, I hope we've uh, had fun here talking about video yeah, game absolutely. music. Yeah. And um, so again, people can find uh, information about your shows at duckfeed.tv. And if someone was to like, hey, I kind of like video games or I kind of like, like what what show should someone start with? Um, I would pick a an episode of Watch Out for Fireballs that's on a game that you like. Okay. Um, and uh, there's a couple of them, you know, that don't be offended if we don't like it, but I promise you we'll, we'll tell you why. Like it'll be, you know, well articulated. Um, I think that's probably the best entry point. Um, the other thing is if you find something that you hate, there's a couple, uh, episodes we've done on things that we've been real cranky about that are very popular and fun episodes because it is sometimes fun to listen to people bag on things. So if you, uh, if you don't like, um, like for example, uh, Indigo Prophecy uh, or Fahrenheit, that is a really fun episode because it is a, it is a cranky, it is a cranky episode. I, I hate that game. Um, yeah. So I would start with either something you really love or something you really hate on that list and we've done we've been going for um almost boy it's gonna be almost six years wow six years in september so it is uh uh, there's a lot to choose from there i'm gonna say i'm eagerly awaiting for your episode on gabriel knight three we we will definitely do it i love that series uh gabriel knight one is my probably my favorite adventure game other than maniac mansion so um, i was really happy to do that and uh i i want to close out the series for sure maybe we will do uh sierra month in uh in this new thing and do uh gabriel knight 3 and then like quest for glory and uh you know maybe uh uh, uh what is it uh space quest space quest the oh Lord sure one, four. yeah um, it really, really says fun. something you know when you have tim curry a british actor doing a southern accent poorly and then you have that character <laughs> trying to speak german it's uh it's it's, it's, it's uh it's incredible like and the, they made a remake of that that's like no fun <laughs> You know, without right, the, the yeah. voice acting, it's it's super not cool. They got a fan yeah. to imitate Tim Curry poorly. So it's an yeah. American poorly <laughs> imitating a British person, poorly imitating a Southern <laughs> accent, poorly speaking German. The line that sticks out to me, and I, um, um, I'll promise we just have a few minutes left, but I thought I'd yeah. humor you with my yeah. Gabriel Knight impersonation. Uh, oh, please, please. I'm, so, I'm, okay. I'm one of the few people who is going to really, really be the audience for that, I okay. feel like. Very so. good. I feel that's <laughs> also true. Um so, you know, he he's looking at the books in his stores and he's like, uh, oh, what's the line? Dragon breath. Uh, dragon means dragon in German. I wonder if Mosley has that dragon breath. Dragon, yeah. <laughs> he does it's that just, uh... guttural thing that doesn't quite work. And then in Gabriel Knight 3, it sounds like they pitch shifted his voice. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the, the direction they give him is to uh, restart the sentence at random points. Like it's not like it's not a William Shatner thing, but it's like yeah. it, it sounds like it's like you know how like a like a car trying to start or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like uh, uh, like it's got this uh, this this kind of sine wave of him trying to trying to get up to regular volume multiple times. If you like cheese voice acting, the other one that's worth checking out is. Um especially the the voice acted version of star trek judgment rights okay that's uh it's available on gog.com they got all the survive they got all the star trek cast members including um deforest kelly as bones to mm-hmm. do the voices 
and he he sounds like he's on death's door but william shatner is his hammiest as kirk oh that's real fun like with no with nobody to look him in the eye right just be like are you really doing this and and there's an outtake from his uh doing lines from the game where he's like i think the ship is sabotaged and the voice actor (laughs) says it's not uh mr shatner it's um sabotage and william and bill's like uh no, in this episode of Star Trek, I, Kirk pronounced it sabotage. So sabotage. So Kirk yes. would pronounce it sabotage. <laughs> and the I, and the guy looked at the Star Trek episode, and Shatner was right. The um, I, I feel like uh, in video games, like I really feel like the bad voice acting is the good voice acting. Like that's not a you know mm. a unique opinion, but like I would much rather have something that has all kinds of weird character than like it's just Nolan North being competent. You know, which is what we get for ninety percent of video games, like. Yeah, I admit, you know, like uh, Cedric the Owl from King's Quest V, oh, look out, King Graham, a poisonous snake, is is much more entertaining than, you know, King Graham in that same game where he's like, I have to pick up the pie to throw it at the man. Yeah, yeah, like wooden Flat, boring wooden standard boring. is the worst, uh, worst combo. Right, and there's something special about those early CD-ROM computer games where they got like the the lady in accounting to do a yeah. voice. Yeah. Just somebody from the hallway gets pulled in to, right. to talk. Yeah. I, I love that stuff. We're doing, um, we're recording uh, for watch out fireballs. We're playing Knox, um, which I never played before and didn't realize was, was fully voiced. Oh, that, is and, that like a Diablo knockoff? You know, it's, it's funny. Like that's what it was. That's why it was sold to us. And that's mm-hmm. what it looks like. It's not though. Like it, it is much more like a mouse controlled Zelda. Oh, weird. Okay. Um, yeah, like there's no uh, none of the things you associate with uh, with Diablo, like no, it's not random. There isn't like loot. There's not really a character build system. Like it's not very hmm. Diablo like, but it looks like a Diablo like. Um, but it it has really really great like kind of early you know it came out in 2000, so it's got like really good that era PC voice acting uh, going on. And I, I started playing. Um, it's one of my favorite games. There's no reason for me to be replaying it rather than like doing new things, but. Um, they did an update to the uh, the content restoration mod for Fallout 2. Oh, so they they added some new stuff to that, um, and not not that recently, but since I last checked in on it. So I was like, okay, I need to play this new Fallout 2 content. Uh, and the voice acting in that game is so fun and and good. Like the uh, the elder in the uh, the medicine man in your in your first village, uh, who is just uh, you know batshit insane and only speaks in you know the most tortured metaphors. Uh, most things are gardens. Of some kind, um, that's really fun. Yeah, that's definitely a point where games got more of a personality in their voice acting, as opposed to Quest for Glory Four, where you have comedians doing Jack Nicholson impersonations. Yeah, for uh, no or Rodney Dangerfield for no reason. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's up for the Baba Yaga? Yes. <laughs> I like to think that those aren't impersonations. That's just Rodney Dangerfield in his like Twilight years, when right. he was really scared of the Baba Yaga. Um, yeah, like somebody, no, no, you know, nobody tell, uh, nobody tell Gallagher about the Baba Yaga or we'll, we'll get quest for glory seven with, uh, with his insane ramblings. If only. Yep. All right. Thanks, man. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll send you a link through the email. Um, when I get it up, it should be in about a week or so. Perfect. Yeah. Just let me know and I'll, I'll blast it out on channels and stuff. Absolutely. Sounds good. Take care. Cool. Yeah, take care.